0: We didn't sing that in the first service. Did you just write that? No. He's done that sort of thing. Um, that is really good. I just loved singing that with you all. And I was impressed as we were singing it that in this room right now all, are all sorts of different levels of belief and depth of belief and understanding of this belief. There's absence of belief. It's just It's a beautiful thing to gather together and affirm that together, because it's both an expression of what we believe, but as we were singing, I could feel my belief deepening. I don't know if you experienced that, but even as I caught glimpses of some of your faces affirming this with me, it was a ministry to me. You didn't know it, but I, my, I, some, some people I've never even met, and some of you that I do know well, and I know how deeply you believe these things, and anchor your life in what we've just been singing, who Jesus is, and who, who the Spirit is, and who God the Father is, and we've recited the Apostles' Creed together, this mo- uh, no, the Nicene Creed together this morning, and, um, and we've affirmed these things together as an expression of belief, but just as much... A deepening of this belief. We gather here, yes, to express, but we gather here to deepen. We gather here to find truth and understand better. This is both expression and catechism. (laughs) Who knows? Who's heard the word catechism? Yeah, it's one of those words that sounds horrible. It's just it sounds like something you should do to something on your body that's bleeding profusely, right? Like, you better have that catechized. It's looking terrible, right? And, and so it's just one of those words. That, oh, And I grew up in an area of the country in the Northeast, and most of my friends, in junior I had to go to catechism. And they hated it. I don't know, I can't think of one friend who loved catechism. And, and wanted to go to this time where in their confirmation process in the church they attended, they had to go through this lengthy time of teaching, often taught by a lay person who really wasn't sure what they were doing, and and they uh, would give some goofy answers that they heard on Oprah. And Oprah wasn't too around when I was in junior high, but she was in junior high too, probably. But um, but you know what I'm saying they they just read it in People magazine and or they they sort of have a breakdown that was typical my friends would tell me that the kids would pump the the catechism teacher for qu- answers and they would finally say well, I don't know but here's just what I think and it would have nothing to do with what their church actually taught but it was just and it was it was actually destructive to the faith of a lot of my friends catechism was and and so much of of Religion can be that way, right? Religion can actually hurt faith. Uh, Certain kinds of teaching can actually undermine true faith, true belief. It can be anything but helpful. And those of us who want it to be real, want it to be helpful, could easily develop a negative view toward formal instruction, toward religious practice. And I actually think we've swung in the pendulum in that direction a lot in our society. I think it's generally cool to be anti religious or anti institutional or anti formal or anti regularized or anti institutionalized, right? I'm often just grateful that people know where to find us as a church. Happens every week. Somebody wants help, and so they look for an address. a phone number, contact. I'm glad we're institutionalized enough here at Grace so people can find us. And I'm glad we haven't, I think, gone the direction of the pendulum swing at Grace to the point where we have this negativity toward even belief in general. It's, it's actually cool to bash belief, just in general. It makes sense. And in a world where the actual existence of Truth, a body of truth that is actually true whether you believe it or not and accessible to us is something a lot of people don't believe in. And it's even infiltrated the church in the way we think about belief and instruction and understanding objective realities outside of our just experience and practicalities. You know, sometimes I wonder who's more influential in America, Jesus or Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin said some fine stuff. But but there's a way of thinking as Americans that emphasizes practicalities. Does it work? Pragmatism is the way of America. And uh, God wrote the Bible, not... Poor Richard's Almanac to live life in expedient ways, in efficient ways, and in practically helpful ways. Now, I'm not saying those things aren't important, but but if our living practically isn't grounded in belief about the most important things in life, it's not God's ways. It's not God's design. I came across in, in a few months ago. A very well-known Christian musician. Very popular. I'm not going to use his name just to give him, give him some uh, space. I don't want to confuse things. But, but, but I want you to listen to these words he, he, he said a while ago. It, it, it bothered some Christians. Other Christians said, yes. But, but listen to this Christian musician's perspective on belief here. He says, I think a healthier way of thinking about belief is to think about the kind of lives we choose to live With the words and beliefs that have been handed to us. Okay. Perhaps a more important question, notice, more important, this is not, we've just moved from not a both and to a, a more important. So perhaps a more important question than whether God is a guy in the sky or the ground of being or the future infinite Trinitarian relationality is what you will do with your assumptions of what God is or is not. So more important than answering the question, who is God, is what you do with those questions. So what's happening here? We're taking the foot off the pedal of belief so that, apparently, we can put it more on the pedal of behavior. Yes? He says, will you love God? Will you love your neighbor? Maybe these questions are far now more important than what you believe about God or your neighbor. He goes on. Maybe whether or not you do what Jesus said is more important than the language you use to describe Jesus. I'm not saying language is unimportant. It is important, just not important enough to divide over. People are more important than ideas. Love is more important than the concept of love. So for me, I've decided to think about my beliefs in terms of how I live rather than what my unconscious assumptions are. He says, um, because there are lots of people that have all sorts of beautiful beliefs that, are really, that live really awful lives. What do I believe? Look at my life. That's what I believe. And that's the kind of belief I'm interested in for my friends as well. I don't care so much about what their words and unconscious assumptions are, even though that can make for some enjoyable pub conversation, I care about what kind of lives they live. Do they believe in loving their neighbor, or do they believe by loving their neighbor? Whew, we could have quite a time unpacking this, yes? <laughs> All right, um, but here, here's. I want to be very sensitive here because there's truth in, in some of these statements. And I'm sure some of you are sitting there saying, yes. And and I want to affirm the yes to some degree. But I also want to point out that there is a terrible, what we could call false dichotomy being presented here. As if lack of living out belief finds the problem in an emphasis on belief. That, that to put the pedal down on behavior, we need to take it off on belief. Instead of seeing them basically as the same pedal. And that you don't have the right behavior without the right belief. And no, I hope you picked up as we went through this how inherently contradictory and even um, incoherent some of these statements are. Because they undermine the very thing they're trying to say. Um, how about this one? People are more important than ideas. What is that sentence? An idea. Right? Yes? Um, Love is more important than the concept of love. What is that sentence? A concept. Do you see? (laughs) You can't do this. He's preaching about really the unimportance of, in, of preaching relative to living. It's defeating itself, right? And so I, I want us to realize that it's never an either-or here. Of course we've got to live these things out. God hates empty religiosity. He hates knowing the right answers and not kicking him in the gear in your life. Man, I don't, he's, there's nobody he goes after more more straightforwardly in the Bible than people who are religious who aren't real. So yes, we are not saying at all that beliefs don't need to be lived out. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. So that we can get these beliefs in our minds, in our hearts, and lived out. And the problem is not too much emphasis on belief. At the expense of behavior, it's not seeing them as the same pedal that we have to push down on. They need to work together. This is not how the Bible talks. The Bible actually talks in the other direction than this Christian worship leader. We could have a long, good discussion on who becomes authoritative in the church. It really is scary that creative worship musicians can carry so much weight even if they've only been a Christian a year. But, but is, is this how the Bible talks? Now, listen to how the Bible talks. Let's just look at a few examples. From the beginning, God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying word of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. Do you see how salvation, forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, sanctification being made holy by God is the work of the Spirit and It comes through belief in the truth. It's not just some mystical thing that happens. No, it's anchored in belief in the truth. It's not, no, live holy lives. Don't put so much emphasis on the belief. No, they must go together. Listen to John. Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. How can you hold to his teaching if you don't emphasize the teaching? Enough to really know it so you can really live it. See, this, these false dichotomies are deadly to us. They're deadly, and they, they tend to be generational. There, there's this pendulum. I have a friend who has a pendulum on his desk, so as he thinks through issues, he actually literally gets the pendulum going to try to figure out where he may be on this issue, on a pendulum swing. But if you hold my teaching, he said, you're really my disciples. You can't hold to the teachings if you don't know the teachings. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth leads to freedom. People perish. They go to hell. They die apart from understanding truth rightly. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Wickedness and suppression of truth go hand in hand. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, empty, meaningless. And their foolish hearts were darkened. You see the connection? When our thinking becomes empty, our hearts become dark. Empty thinking, foolish thinking, leads to darkness leads to sin leads to rebellion leads to foolishness and what happens they exchange the truth the, the truth of god for a lie and worship and serve the created things rather than the creator human beings are created to believe and you will believe you will you can't help it you'll have all sorts of beliefs This idea that some people have all these beliefs and others don't, it's just not true. Everybody's a believer in something. Even if your belief is that there isn't really anything worth believing in, that's a belief. You just can't escape it. So the question is not whether you'll be a believer, but what you'll believe in. And if that belief is worthy of your life, of your faith, of grounding your life in. This is the definition of the sinful fallen human condition that we all equally share as human beings. We're born in this believing the lie perspective, the futility of our hearts. This is not... Oh, those non-Christians. No, this is all of us in our fallen human condition. And until we no longer suppress the truth of God by the grace of God and understand and submit and worship as a result of the truth of God, then, then we continue in this condition. Look at First Timothy. If, you, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So yes, behavior, absolutely. Living it out practically, Yes. But how does that happen? To behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So behavior is grounded in the truth that the church upholds. The, The church has as a central calling the supporting, the upholding, the putting forth the truth of God. Oh yes, we must live this out, but what we're living out is grounded in fundamental beliefs. Look at Paul. Listen to how comprehensive his view of this belief understanding is. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. It's not just isolated ideas or passages or pet verses or favorite books. or, or it's, it's the holistic view of God. It's the view that Paul has when he says, I've got three years in Ephesus. I can't preach through every verse of the Old Testament. I'm going to preach to them publicly in house to house, he says, as he reflects on his three years in Ephesus with them. And he gives them an understanding of the whole counsel of God's word. No doubt he preached passages and quoted verses, but the, the goal was to see them all in light of the overarching, holistic understanding of the big answers to life's biggest questions. It, it's, it's the whole counsel of God he sought to give them and did give them. And holds out for them then as an example of their ministry. What it should look like as well. The whole council, holistic, not just isolated verses or sections, but, but an understanding of what God's up to, who he is, who we are, the purpose of our lives, why we have evil in the world, how God solves that problem, who Jesus is, how it all ends. All these big ideas are so important. To get good, clear, biblical answers to, yes, grounded in key passages, but in a way that understands all the Bible says. That sounds like a lot of work, and it is. When you become a Christian, you become a student of God's word, and you seek to have a holistic understanding, and until it's holistic, it doesn't really invade our lives as it should. Listen to Ephesians 4. As a result, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. The the tendency is not to drift toward truth or God's ways or God's thinking. The tendency is to be profoundly influenced by all sorts of ungodly influences that end up invading our behavior. That's this tendency we have that we are. We're like a ship just tossed about, thrown around on the sea. And he says, no, ground yourselves in the truth so that this doesn't happen. So we don't uh, look like a ship that's going every different direction based on the latest teaching or current or trend or wind. No, we're anchored with our rudders firmly in God's word, going in the right direction as a result. So, uh, we look at the Great Commission, the central calling in our lives to the world. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. So, you can't observe unless you know. And discipleship has at its core teaching and understanding that teaching so that we can live it out. The Great Commission has to have this teaching element that we teach people to observe everything we've commanded. Would you open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? I want to look at a verse here that is so helpful to us as we think through this together. This uh, understanding of God's word in, in catechism, in learning instruction, in doctrine, in theology. When I say those words, I bet for most of you, you don't get warm feelings. When I say the word doctrine, when I say the word uh, catechism, or I say the word theology, I, I bet you don't say, oh, most of you, many of you maybe. I know some of you do. But for, for most of you, it's, it feels cold and technical and irrelevant, and, and it just causes debates and, and disagreements and even wars. Let's Let's just... Let's just be a loving community and not emphasize all that teaching, all that doctrine. But I I want us to walk out of here where we actually hear words like doctrine and feel warm and and feel feel enthused and feel loved by God that he's provided this for us and clarity in our lives. I want us to love these things and not fear that they may uh, lead to empty religion. But look at Colossians 3 verse 16. Love this verse. Help us, Lord, here as we look at this. Uh, Let the word of Christ, Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There is so much there. Boy, just that one verse is so loaded with important understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian. And you need to know, it couldn't be more practical. This whole chapter is intensely practical. It begins by establishing who we are in Christ. Look at verse one. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. So he establishes our identity in Christ as those who've died with Christ, have been risen with him. And then in verse five, he gets very practical and talks about our character, our behavior. Put to death, therefore, What is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And he calls us to leave lives filled with, see verse eight, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, lying, verse nine. Put to death all those things. Put on the new self. Look in verse 10, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Look at verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Well, I read that and I say, "Oh, what a glorious way to live." And oh, what an overwhelming command uh, to forgive like that. To to overlook grievances. Oh, I know how much hurt there is in our lives and how we've been wronged and offended. And he says, no, forgive lavishly like God's forgiven you. Put on love. Be a loving person. Oh, this this could be a crushing weight. If it weren't, I think, for verse 16. I read that and I I feel uh, inspired, but at the same time, I feel overwhelmed because I know how much in me wars against being forgiving, being loving, being kind, being compassionate. And so how does that happen? I need a sense of how these things become real in me. And I think verse 16 is the beautiful, clarifying, simplifying reality. Let the word of Christ dwell in you Richly. Oh, is that good? The Word of Christ. So what, I, what we find here is it's not just Bible knowledge then, although that's necessary, it's the Word of Christ that we're after. It, it's not just knowing Bible facts. I, my, I had an atheist professor in college who taught my New Testament as literature class, who knew the Bible in Greek really well. It just didn't lead him to worship and obedience and adoration of God. He knew it really well, though. So it's not knowledge. Satan could ace all the exams I give in my theology classes at Biola. So knowledge is not enough, it's, it's the word of Christ. And what that means is the word of God, the Bible, understood in light of Jesus, understood as a means to understanding Jesus. Yes, the Bible, you, you'll hear it say, oh, the Bible's a roadmap for life, it's principles for living, it's your how-to manual, it's a, a map, all these things. Now, there's truth to all of that, but I'm actually concerned those ways of describing the Bible could miss the whole point, which is Jesus. <laughs> it's the word of Christ. It's, in other words, the word of God in Christ that sees the whole Old Testament as this old covenant leading to the fulfillment of it in Jesus, and the whole New Testament as pointing us to that revelation of God in Christ that brings the new covenant, this life that we now live out very practically. So the Bible's uh, understanding the understanding we have of the Bible must be Christ-centered and gospel-centered, always asking, how does this help me know Jesus better and what God is doing in and through him and his ministry? So it's the word of Christ. And then notice it's the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. I love that. Uh, taking up residence. Uh, it's a dwelling place uh, in us, in our hearts, in our in our minds, in our lives, is is now the dwelling place, the home of Christ through the dwelling of his word. It's not just this coming and going, temporary, passing thing. It's a dwelling. It's, It's the word of Christ dwelling in us richly, deep, full, understanding, that transforms our hearts. Yes, the knowledge isn't enough, but the knowledge is necessary. Uh, one theologian describes it as, as Alexander does, the, the knowledge are the logs we're putting on the fire. They're, they're the, 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 the source that the fuel then uses to ignite a flame. And if there's a lack of flame, it's not because... There's, there's uh, too much knowledge. It's, it's, it's a disconnect of some kind. We need more knowledge. And so it needs to dwell in us richly. And that's what we're doing here this morning. Seeking to have the word of Christ dwell in us more richly. That's why we sing. That's why we recite. That's why we preach the word and listen to the preached word and why we read our Bibles in the morning and why we gather together as a family and and pray and read the Bible together and why we have fellowship, hopefully, that moves beyond the pitiful Lakers and and into things that really matter, things of substance, things of life and hope. And so the word of Christ dwells in us richly. But then notice what, what it says next teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Let's not overly spiritualize this indwelling of the word of Christ richly. It's very relational. It's very community-oriented. It's very uh, worked out in arguments and frustrations and difficulties of life that God brings our way so it's real. It's, very, it, it, it's teaching, exhorting. It's not just you in your Bible by a babbling brook. Although that's uh, an important thing. It's very important. It's you and your Bible and a babbling brook then, then brought into relationships, first and foremost, among the household of faith where we work these things out together and then become a light to the world as we seek to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly. There's teaching, there's exhorting. Other people get involved in this. Oh, man, this grates against an American mentality. Our individualistic mentality does not like this at all. People getting in your business, yes, exactly. People getting very much in your business. People getting knowledge of you and them uh, getting knowledge of of uh, you getting knowledge of them and working as a community in relationship, seeking the word of Christ to dwell more deeply in us. It's communal, it's relational, it's what's going on right now in children's ministry and in youth ministry. The, the goal right now, with all those kids learning the kids' core concepts. I was telling Gary Halverson this morning, he's been teaching those for years with our kids. I said, Gary, you're going to be an old senile man who's forgotten your wife's name, and you're going to know those kids' core concepts, right? I'm going to visit you in a convalescent home, and you're going to be going through the kids' core concepts, right? Because they're embedded in there, and that's what's going on. That's what's going on with our youth ministry. That's what's going on with us. We're seeking to get more grounded in the understanding that God's given us in his word. And so it's corporate. It's teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, doing it wisely so it really works. Very independent mentality we tend to have as Americans that this war is against. But look where it all culminates, right? Is this beautiful? Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's all culminating then in worship, in gratitude, in adoration of God. If it doesn't get there, it's tragically short of where it needs to be. We need to have as our goal worshipful hearts, adoring hearts, loving hearts toward God. That's, that's the goal of all of this. And so when we gather, that, if we're not getting there in some way, if we're not gathering with your roommates as friends and getting around the Word and praying and worshiping as a result, we're just missing it. If we're not doing that as families, at least sometime during the week, we're gathering around the word and adoring God together. If we're not doing that as a church, doing that as grace groups, that's what grace groups are all about, getting the word of Christ to dwell in us more richly so that we worship, so that we adore together. That's what God's after in our lives. Dwelling more richly in us. And so this beautiful picture of the Christian life that's loving and forgiving, that is pure, that that is free from covetousness, that that is looking more and more godly every day. If we don't go down that path, we will go down the natural boot-up mode that human beings go down. Listen to how... If you have ultimate optimism in human society... The Bible has this to say, understand this, love it, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. As I read through that list, is it just astounding how that list just describes the news? Every day, even the sports section. Yeah, it's just the way of the world. You don't have to look far to see this validated, do you? Yeah, th- there's a massive problem in the world that this perfectly describes. And how do we keep, not it says avoid such people, but before we say that, how about avoid being such people? It's easy to say, oh, I'm not going to go near uh, those evil people. Well, how about before I even start thinking that way, make sure that I'm not just one of them? that are to be avoided, that we have discernment, not calling evil good and good evil, that we are not so saturated with American cultural thinking and biblically saturated that we even know the difference between good and evil. It's slipping. It's slipping in alarming ways, even among Christians, a clear biblical discernment of good and evil and right and wrong and truth and lies. So we've got to be devoted to these things. And how does Paul, just a few verses later in 2 Timothy, exhort Timothy, you, however, you're different, he says. You're different. Why is he different? You followed my teaching (laughs) and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. How does this happen? Well, he says to Timothy, Timothy elsewhere in 1 Timothy 4, watch your life and doctrine closely. They always go together. It's never either or. It's never one at the expense of another. It's all, always both. And so at Grace, we, we want to take this very seriously. We, we don't want to deal with symptoms of greater problems. We don't want to deal with a lack of giving among our church by putting band-aids on the problem. We don't want to deal with a disrespect for a spouse or a debasing of sexuality or a disdain for the poor instead of a love and compassion. We don't want to address those problems with band-aids. We want to get at the core issues, and that is attending to our doctrine, our beliefs about the poor, about sex and its purpose, about money and its source, and its purpose, about all these things. If we don't address the fundamental things, if we think we got all that down, let's get on to more practical things, we are missing the reality of our situation. And so at Grace, we want to step back this year in 2015 and say, what does this mean for us to dive into understanding doctrine better? This, um, this idea of catechizing, you know, it's a... It's a Strange word, but it's to teach orally, to instruct by word of mouth. We we want to be a catechizing people. We want to be all catechizers and catechumen, and and uh, and we want to have a catechetical environment here. Yes, these are great words, and and catechisms like the Heidelberg and Westminster are wonderful efforts to summarize, like Paul says he does the whole counsel of God's word. Yes, we need to know scripture, quote scripture, but at times we need to be able to say, who is God, and what's a human, and who is Jesus, like we were doing this morning as we recited the Nicene Creed. Summary statements that are clearly are, are giving us a picture fundamentally of what the Bible teaches about these big ideas. Listen to J.I. Packer. Catechesis is the church's ministry of grounding and growing God's people in the gospel. Remember, it's the word of Christ ultimately. And its implications for doctrine, devotion, duty, and delight. I love that. Yes, it's the teaching, but it leads to devotion, which leads to duty, living the right way, and leads to delight, ultimately. That's that worship goal of Colossians 3.16. Listen to what Packer and Parrott say later in their excellent book I highly recommend, Grounded in the Gospel, Building Believers the Old-Fashioned Way. The pastoral letters in the New Testament all indicate in one way or another that the church must expect to be constantly affected by misbelief as well as misbehavior. And congregants in every age must see themselves as learning communities in which gospel truth has to be taught, defended, and vindicated against corruptions of it and alternatives to it. And so I love this picture I came across. This is a, a minister working with these kids in a field. He doesn't look too happy. But, and the kids don't really either. But I, there's something I love about this minister fundamentally helping these kids answer the life's, life's biggest questions from the catechism. That, this is called catechism, this, this painting. It's in a field, and it's kids, and you see the girl next to the boy cramming for her next exam she's about to have, right? Uh, and look at the boy at the end. He's like, oh, there's a grasshopper. And so uh, he's not going to do well, I'm sure. Or maybe he owns it. He doesn't have to worry about it. But, but that's what's going on in our youth ministry right now, fundamentally, is, is there, there are teachers helping people understand truth, helping kids. And let's all jump on this on board. I think one of the disease, the terrible tragedies of, of adulthood in our culture is we, we sort of learning behind. We think homework is for kids. We think study is what we used to do back in school. Instead of saying, no, let's be a people who seek to understand truth and life's questions. So listen to just the beginning of our ministry value on preaching. We believe that preaching and teaching should be biblically based, primarily expositional, and theologically instructive realize that progression is important, biblically based, grounded in Scripture clearly, clearly. primarily expositional, like we did uh, to some degree going to Colossians 3.16 today, so it's grounded in, in Scripture, clear passages, but with the goal of being theologically instructive, not just so we can know a verse here and there, but so that we can have a comprehensive understanding of truth that invades our lives. And, of course, we get practical and tend to help us love God and others more and make us more like Jesus. And what we want to do is introduce something called the New City Catechism. Here in your bulletin, the guys in a couple seconds are going to put that up. Oh, okay, let's do it now. So here's our website. Uh, We have... uh, uh, handout in your bulletin if you don't want to go computer with this, which is fine. But here's our website. There's a link to the New City Catechism on our website, this week's question, and resources that go along with us. As, as we go to the New City Catechism, helpful resource that I've just learned to love, that I'm eager to dive in with my family. This is the first question this week. And, and here's the question. Look, you click on it, and here's the question. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. A summary statement of the purpose of life. What's more important than answering the question of the purpose of our existence? And it starts off right there. And it's got scripture on all these that, that are the grounding of these summary statements. Lots of other we could put, but there's a good scripture passage. We can memorize this. We can meditate on it, converse about it, uh, look at these scriptures. The next thing is commentary from great preachers in church history on this statement. And then there's a video uh, of a contemporary preacher expounding on this you can watch. There's Tim Keller talking about this first answer. And and then finally there are prayers we can pray, helping us go to the Lord with these big ideas and, and making it worshipful and relational and adoring of him in prayer. Oh just a resource, a very helpful resource that that we 're encouraging that we go through as a family together as a church family and as as uh, your households and your family and i 'm so eager to dive into this tonight, probably Don and I'll watch the video and really get ready for this week, so we, we've thought about it ahead of time for our kids on Monday when they 're squirrely and maybe don 't want to do it and 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 we say oh we 're enthused, and so uh, let's let 's do this and we'll we'll get together with them and enjoy thinking about these truths together. I I am convinced that as we dive into this together, God's going to use it powerfully in our lives. I want you to just consider if we go back to question 4, I just want to look at question 4. We could actually go there here, huh? Uh or go back, either one. Question 4. Look at question 4. Could you just think about this question and this answer. How and why did God create us? Here's the answer. God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we were created by God should live for his glory. (gasps) Wow. Talk about an important concept. Talk about far-reaching implications. I don't think there's one thing in the news today that won't be helpfully informed by this answer whether it's issues of bioethics or sexual ethics or politics or war or uh, just ethics in general or how we view the importance of sports, the relative importance of sports, how we view the weather, how we view the tragedies going on in the world, how we view everything, how we treat people, why we have a food bank, why we have an orphan care ministry. All these things, aren't they fueled by our definition of a human? of ourselves and one another, the way we view ourselves, the way we think about pornography or eating disorders or divorce or whatever it is. It's got to be fueled by these fundamental answers. Think about how important this is and how God could use these things as we meditate on them together. If you want to pray this morning with someone to employ this community aspect of what we've been talking about, I'll be up here. Others will be up here. would love to pray with you as we close the service. Uh, let's go into this together as a family. If you fall behind, just jump back in. If, if you don't want to do it, that's okay, but this could be so rich for us as we go into this as a family. Let's pray together. Father, help us to love you and your word and your truth. Help us to live so that the Word of Christ dwells in us more richly. We love you. We thank you for giving us such a wonderful church family to seek these realities within. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Word. We commit 2015 to you with eager expectation and joy and confidence in you and what you've told us is true. And We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.